Stuart Cox. London Matters and Needs Reform. The official podcast of the Reform UK candidate for Mayor of London. So let's get straight in with the first question, Howard. Les Shepherds-Bush, is first past the post fit for purpose? Obviously, it isn't fit for purpose for smaller parties. Uh, They've got very little chance of actually getting in post or becoming an MP. The famous situation was when UKIP got 4 million votes and only got one MP. And the SMP got something like one and a half million votes and they got 50 MPs or, or, or thereabouts. So it can't be right because obviously those four million aren't being represented in Parliament. And it's the same with any election. I think it's important. Uh, maybe you should have a first and second choice situation whereby the second choice is, you know, if your first choice doesn't get it, your second choice counts as well. And that's what used to happen with the London mayoral election. But no, it's first past the post. So it is going to be a big mountain to climb. But crikey, I'm, I'm running up that mountain very fast now. You're like Eddie the Eagle Edwards meets <laughs> Usain Bolt on acid. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Go on. You are trundling up that hill. Um, listen, I mean, the reality is is that you see this often with elections. That And I look, I know people say, well, it's a democracy, so everybody has an equal chance. And But it, in a way, you don't, because if you're a new party, you don't have a 100 years' worth of election backstory and therefore what is essentially kind of your existence is your ongoing ad for your for your campaign. You don't have that. And we often end up in a situation where somebody wins, they are first past the post. But if you just tot up the collective votes of the other three parties, they're more than the person that won. So the deduction there is more people didn't want the winner than did want the winner. Well, it's interesting you say this, Ian, is because right across, I think there's only one other country in the world that actually has first past the post. Most of the others have proportional representation. So do we think we're right or wrong? I don't know. All I know is that, you know, I'm not suggesting the raving loony party or whatever it is, the old bless his cotton socks, Lord such, you know, should have about six MPs or something because he didn't get those sorts of votes. But the point is, with serious parties that are actually contributing and trying to make, the, including the Greens, including the Lib Dems, they should have better representation based on their following. Yeah. And often you don't even get an invite to those panel debates when you're a smaller party. Well, we saw that recently with Simon Dantuck. As I speak to you today, Rochdale by-election is about to take place and he was actually excluded from a hustings. It's ridiculous and it's probably a two-horse race at the moment between George Galloway and Simon. Obviously, by the time people are listening to this podcast, we will know the result. Yeah, we will. Here's a question that is quite timely. Nikki says, is it my imagination or is the London Evening Standard an election campaign paper for Sadiq Khan? Without doubt, it has. I mean, what we're seeing in a poll in the last week was that uh, Sadiq Khan has 49% in terms of the poll, 25 points in front of Susan Hall, the Conservative candidate. And I'm down in fifth place behind the Greens and the Lib Dems on 7%. I've increased by 3% against their previous polling. But it's ludicrous because I am speaking to loads and loads of people on a daily basis. And I don't just mean tens. I'm talking about hundreds of people. And there's not one person who supports Sadiq Khan being re-elected as London mayor. This is something wrong with this completely. And there's no doubt about it. Recently, there was an uh, article about what's happened regarding the policing and and the uh, Islamophobia and the Lee Anderson affair. And Susan Hall and Sadiq Khan were asked to contribute in a big article. But 
I wasn't asked to contribute whatsoever. This is what's wrong with the the London papers. It's true that the City AM and also Metro, they are very, very uh, low to look at the smaller parties and they seem to be favouring uh, Sadiq Khan being re-elected. Uh, it's interesting looking at that uh, London mayoral voting intention. There has been, I mean, it's interesting. You have to look at patterns here. And although Khan is up there at 49%, he's down on where he was. The Tories are down. Now, reform... Obviously, that's you, Howard. 7%. Now, what's interesting about that is that you're the only party that has managed to put on a plus three. The Lib Dems are plus one. But other than that, the others are going minus and you're going plus. Well, obviously, our campaign is working, but we we have a small team. We have a small budget, but we're working very hard. You know, we've put out 200,000 leaflets in the last couple of weeks around London. And we are definitely, definitely actually getting favourable responses. And if we get rid of what colour your rosette is and start talking about the issues, well, what I'm standing on is very well supported. Indeed. Paul says, I see Sadiq Khan still has a nighttime czar. Uh, this is Amy LaMay, of course. Oh, I think she's paid about 120,000 quid to tell Sadiq Khan about nightclubs and stuff. Uh, will you retain this position, says Paul? I'm sure you're aware of this story, Howard. Well, obviously I've got to look into this. The actual character... Uh, that he is in this position, earning a ridiculously high salary, um, has presided over that's supposed to be actually making nightlife actually very profitable, uh, attractive and, and safe. And yet I understand something like uh, 20% of nightclubs are closed and night events are closed under her tenure. Uh, so I, I, I don't know her too well, but I will be looking at all of these czars or whatever you want to call them. And if they're not contributing to the positive benefit of London residents and visitors, I'm sorry, they will go. It's interesting that, and I'm sure she's a decent person. I think she used to do radio work before she pitched up on the uh, the six-figure salary gig for the mayor. Uh, but I, I think there was a story recently that she'd also, part of her job is also travelling around the world to other parts of the, uh, the the planet to see you know what other capital cities are doing because they seem to like that in those sort of czar-based positions. <laughs> My point is, in addition to you know what is demonstrably a very good salary, there is also you know an expenses element to it as well. I would guess. I'm sure she's not being abused, but some would say by definition that is abuse. Uh, yeah, I mean it's interesting from a, an administration that prides itself on trying to actually save the planet that they're quite happy you know get on the plane to go to Australia just to, where they could actually talk to the person on by Zoom in this day and age. So, yeah, all those sorts of things I will look into. And I really am actually fed up. The fact is I, I, I've already put a freedom of information request as to how many people in Sully Khan's administration are earning six-figure sums. And I know it's a big number because I'm going to look at every one of those positions. And I repeat, if they're not contributing to the benefit of London, they've gone. Uh, here's one about congestion from Kaz in Canning Town, who says, why should it take me an hour to drive from Docklands to Canning Town? You need to sort this out, Howard. Well, we should point out, in fairness, Kaz, that Howard is not in a position just yet to sort it out. But that is all part of your campaign of course uh, at the moment it's down to Khan for those who don't know the area we're talking about I mean Docklands is almost next to Canning Town which is the point she's making there's a, a number of examples that ride across London we're seeing and uh, I get taxis regularly and uh, I always talk to the uh, oracles of actually sage light advice black cab drivers and uh, they are saying the same thing it's simple. I'm, I'm getting rid of all these stupid obstacles in the way to keeping London moving, and they will all go. We're going to get rid of the stupidly wide cycle lanes, LTNs, speed bumps, pinch points, floating bus stops, etc., all these sorts of things, and we will get London moving again because that's what people want. 
And I've said it before, I'm the only candidate has actually done some independent economic analysis to show that the various constraints in, uh, in London that have been introduced by Sadiq Khan's administration have cost dearly, well, it's reduced the GDP of London and its economy. So, yes, it answer your question, I promise you, your journeys will be speeded up as soon as possible in my tenure as mayor. And Jim says, just tell us what it's like on the ground. What are people telling you, Howard, about what is wrong with the capital? And also, do you get much abuse when you're out pounding the streets? The first point, the flavour of the month in terms of everything is people are saying about crime and they feel unsafe, etc. And a lot of people aren't travelling later at night, on, especially on public transport. All these sorts of things. I think that's one of the big issues, followed by, as a previous questioner asked about, you know, we can't get around London quick enough anymore uh, by roads, etc. When people see a politician out there, if somebody's <laughs> got a rosette on or a handful of leaflets, that is sort of the international symbol of, hey, it's a politician. There is a tendency, even if people haven't got a clue who it is, to shout out, oi, Tossa. That does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't matter who it is. I'm sure you don't get that. But uh, we know that politicians are, at the moment, in a very precarious position. Some are getting a lot of abuse on all sides of the spectrum. It's not always the safest job at the moment. No, it's not. And it's very worrying in that situation. And, uh, you know, my wife is often saying, are you sure you should be doing this? But I'm so passionate about getting London back to, into the hands of its residents and away from idealistic sort of politicians. You know, that motivates me. In the main, I get very good reception when I get around. I don't get many bad things. I'm holding a reception for MPs to come into Paul Cullis House to talk about fuel duty because we've got a budget next week. And I get lots of abuse from the eco-zealots and the cyclists in terms of that. And I have death threats and I've had dog feces shoved through the letterbox oh, of my God. home and, and things like that, you know, wrapped in a cycle glove. So it's not, they're not even hiding you know, where they come from, the type of people they are. Yes, it is a worrying thing. And I hope it's a sad thing that the, the, the government just announced, I think, this week, some extra money to protect MPs. Uh, and it's quite rightly when they leave the, the safety of the well-protected uh, Houses of Parliament, when they go home, they become mums and dads and family people, normal people, but they shouldn't be subjected to the abuse they've been getting. This in from Dev as well. Final one, Howard, uh, who says, timely you mentioned that. How is the fuel duty campaign going with a budget looming? Are you hopeful? Well, yes, I, I am hopeful. Um, uh, there's two things happened. I delivered last week a petition to Number 10 with the, the fantastic MP Jonathan Gullis, a Tory MP. Bear in mind, I'm standing for reform, but I can still uh, compliment others, well, especially in terms of the Tory backbenchers. There's a lot of them that support Fairfield UK. I presented a petition of 126,000 signatures calling for a cut in fuel duty. And uh, and this is this is the funny thing, uh, Ian, it's very nice. We opened the door, you know, when you do your photographs outside the front of the door, you do the usual thing. And when we actually passed over the petition, the door opens of number 10. And there was this wonderful, the guard who opens, or whatever he's called, the doorman opened the door. And he came over, shook my hand. He said, I'm voting for you for London Mayor. <laughs> wow. And uh, and also... That was, that was a, a nice entree to the day, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it was in front of a Tory MP and inside a Tory uh, Prime Minister's at home. It's a bit of a, a bit of fun, that one. But even more so, as I walked out, the uh, two policemen walked towards me in their flat jackets and carrying their whatever these Kalashnikovs, I don't know what they call them, these, these machine guns, came up to me. I thought, oh, God, what's happened? And he suddenly started smiling one of them and said, I've always been a supporter of Fairfield UK. Good on you, and you should become London Mayor too. So that's the sort of thing I'm getting on the street. And these are from people within government it's, or within the administration of government. So, yes, it's going well. I predict it'll certainly be frozen again, and I'm hoping there'll be a cut. Yeah, and you have already got a sizable amount of MPs supporting you. Yes, we've got 
got 40 very heavyweight politicians who put together a letter. Well, I wrote the letter and they, they all signed it. And people like uh, Dame Pretty Patel, Dame Andrea Jenkins, uh, Lord Frost, John Redwood, Jacob Rees-Mogg, people like that have all signed this calling for a cut in fuel duty. We delivered that too. And I'm, uh, it's fantastic news that, that that's happened. Uh, but it's no surprise. I mean, it's an election year. They're, they're queuing up to help Fairfield UK at the moment. Yeah. And Londoners, which is, of course is where your big focus is as a candidate for the Mayor of London, will be interested uh, in this as well because those with cars, and I, I don't know why we have maligned um, and libeled the motor car so fantastically over over the last couple of years, but we have. Um, the last time I looked, it's a completely brilliant liberal form of transport and the greatest invention for social mobility in the history of mankind. But putting all that aside, London has spent an awful lot of time stuck in traffic jam, using up fuel. They could do with a break. Absolutely. And let's put it this way. You just think of the internet economy, the delivering of things, the trucks, etc. Everything in my office where I'm sitting now, in, in, in your studio where you are, was once delivered on a truck. And if we reduce their costs, that means inflation comes down, their costs come down, they make more profit, and that's passed on to the government in growth taxes and corporation tax. It's a simple no-brainer. Everyone knows this, but it's so sad that or the seven chancellors I've dealt with since 2010, when they were not in government, all over me like a rash saying, yes, we've got to cut fuel duty, no a problem at all. But when they get into government, they seem strangely reluctant to actually just, you know, and they tinker with it, maybe a penny here or something there. But one of the things I've suggested, I've written a personal letter to Jeremy Hunt that said, cut it. And I, in an article I wrote in The Sun last week, I also said, let's let's have the cajones to actually cut it by 20 pence per litre. Let's do this. Rishi Sunak's always calling, uh, saying that he wants to lead the way on various issues. Well, why not lead the way on actually low motoring tax? What that would do to the economy would be massive, and believe it or not, what that would do to the Tories being re-elected even more so. Howard, we will speak very soon on the next episode. Thank you very much. Cheers. Don't forget, of course, to follow Howard on social media at Howard C. Cox. Uh, that's at Howard C. Cox. Make sure you get your questions in ready for the next episode. <laughs>